Welcome to The Butter Dish. I'm Heidi Bollard. And I'm Natalie Delaney. And today we have on Ashley Marie Hubbard. Wait, is that, did I say that right? Yes. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> I panicked for a second. Um, so he, James, go ahead and take that part out. <laughs> or not, whatever's fine. Yeah. All right, Ashley, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me. I've been following you guys for a while and I really enjoy the content. Um, so I'm happy to be here. I like talking about um just my journey with things and with CrossFit and with body image and um a little bit about me. I've been a nutrition coach since 2015. I own a hub nutrition. I kind of got into it by accident um through competing in CrossFit, Olympic weightlifting. Um, and I stumbled upon like things like working against gravity and had coaches from there. Um, and just really, I've always loved fitness and nutrition. And so I just started becoming a coach, um, got certified through precision nutrition and nutritional coaching Institute. I got, um, I also have a holistic nutrition coach certification through AFPA, I think it's called. Um, so I've been dealing with clients for a very long time and I've also competed in everything, CrossFit, powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, um, I actually broke a few records in powerlifting as a junior, which I don't love talking about, but people tell me that I should talk about that more often, Um, (laughs) you know, so, um, so I've, I feel like I've been through a lot of different phases in my life. I've been through phases of losing weight. I've been through phases of being way too light, losing my period for five years, um, focusing on like a health journey to get that back and then kind of hating CrossFit and like having this weird association with it because of how, what I went through with losing my period. Um, and I'm doing CrossFit again and and loving it and still getting a period now. So, um, I think I've kind of come full circle in that, in that journey, but I want to just talk about how much it's not talked about in CrossFit because it's such a high intense sport and and many people are not eating enough and not, not getting a period and not caring about it. And so um, I always wondered like, how are these games athletes getting their period? Cause like I'm not, and I didn't even feel like I was as lean as they were. Um, so I just want to talk about that more and the struggle of body image and body dysmorphia, because I think that so many people struggle with it and don't talk about it. And when you don't talk about it, you feel like you're the only one. And I think that when you talk about it with other people, it actually kind of takes the intensity of those thoughts away because you see how ridiculous other people's thoughts are too. And you're like, oh, maybe we're all just wrong. (laughs) Gosh, I love that. I mean, one of my favorite things that Heidi says is, you know, shame is a social emotion. And I think I agree with you. Whenever we can talk about our flaws, our vulnerabilities, our, our perceived weaknesses, our insecurities, I think it frees a lot of us up to be able to be like, oh, I'm not just alone in my thoughts because we can be really, really awful to ourselves inside our little heads, right? Mm -hmm. And we can walk around all day long and mask or hide our insecurities really well because we want everyone to believe that we maybe a little bit further or we've mastered something in reality. It's like, it doesn't do us any good to just sit and hold it, right? To like leave negative thoughts about ourselves to to what end? Yeah. Well, I like the way that you said that too, like reduces the intensity of it, because I think that there is, you know, we all, we have multi multiple avenues of motivation, I think for, for things that we do, but if shame is a big motivator for you with like nutrition or exercise, not you, you, but you know, dear reader, you, um, if that is, um, something that's sort of driving you, 
sharing, sharing your thoughts and concerns and things like that with other people is definitely, I love how you said that reduce the intensity of it for sure. Just make you realize like, Hey, I'm not, not alone. And again, yeah. (laughs) If you're thinking that about yourself and I see you and I think you're amazing, then maybe just maybe I could be wrong as well. Yeah. 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 And not all thoughts are facts. I tell my clients that too. They're like, I've had this, this thought and it's like, okay, well, how many times do you also think like other intrusive thoughts that are like not true? (laughs) Totally. And like, and even if logically, you know, it's not true, that doesn't mean it doesn't affect how you feel. This is like a weird example. I think I might've mentioned it before, but obviously I have pink hair. I wash in my pink shampoo and a couple of times I like clean out my ears and it looks like super dark red. And for like a split second, I'm like, holy crap, did I like stick this in too far or something? Yeah. And then, but like, I literally have like a, like a, you know, a flash of like heat and, and my heart's pounding or whatever for just a split second about something that is like demonstrably false. Right. Yeah. And I think that like a lot of us women can relate to that, whether it's like seeing a picture, stepping on the scale or whatever, and this immediate reaction we have, even if it is illogical, but again, knowing that like, you know, you just paying, paying attention to how you feel and react even to your own thoughts, let alone yeah. outside triggers is such yeah. a huge step in awareness. I percent And even if you think about your analogy, which I have not heard by the way, oh, ever, wow. so it's brand new. Hey, wonderful. That, <laughs> and how far can you really take it? Like, if you really believe that this is blood, you would all of a sudden have someone check out your ear, call the doctor, maybe Google it, go to WebMD, right? Yeah. What does this mean? And so how we take our thoughts and run with them is also important. And I think I love what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about chasing leanness. We're going to talk about losing your period and and the costs related to that. And then definitely one that we want to tackle, something that we actually haven't had on this podcast yet, which I'm really excited about, is to talk about body dysmorphia. I think when you hear that word, most people think that that's something reserved that's really special for like a group of women who just really have it bad. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing with like, trauma, right? Oh, I don't really have any traumas. It's like, well, we've got little T traumas and we've got big T traumas. And, and same thing with, I don't really need a therapist and like all these things that we believe that like, oh, that's reserved for somebody else. Yeah. But then when we dive in and we look at what body dysmorphia is, I think I would say that most of us have some sort of flavor of it. Agreed. Would you agree, Ashley? What are your thoughts? Talk about a little bit about the body dysmorphia topic. So, yeah. And I think just to piggyback kind of off of what uh, you guys just last said, like most people have those emotions and they make decisions off of them. Like they're like, I'm going to start a diet. And if you're making a decision based off of an emotion that is from an acute like time period, like that's like most people would agree. That's not a good decision. Like you don't want to make decisions only based off of emotion. So, but back to body dysmorphia. um, I, the weird thing about my body dysmorphia is that mine was never bad until I got lean. When I was heavier, I honestly like really didn't even think I was big or anything like that. Like when I first started getting into weightlifting, the only reason I even cut weight is because of my total in comparison to my weight class in order to make junior nationals. So I was like, okay, I'm going to cut weight, but like not because I want to look skinny only because of that. Um, and so I went from like 168 and I I think the first cut was from the 75 to 69. Um, and I did that successfully, but after that, like I continued losing, like, of course, like, Oh, I want to see if I can make the next class. Like, and then just in my head telling myself like, Oh, it's for sport. Oh, it's for sport. But that, that was, I was using that as an excuse to cover up like 
the very disordered relationship I had with the scale in my body. Um, so I went from 168 to 126 in like six months. Um, I was 17, 17, 18. Um, and I mean, within the first month, I literally lost my period. Um, and I was like, I was kind of like, cool. Like, I don't have to worry about it. Um, and I think that's what most people, especially I was 17. Like, I didn't care. I was like, good. Well, we don't know, right? In our minds, a period right. is a nuisance. We don't look at it like, oh, this right. is a hormone health marker, right? Like, we don't see it that way. We see like, mm-hmm. great. I mean, I remember actually getting put on the pill to skip my periods. Yeah. Clear skin, no period, win, yeah. right? Like, I mean, yeah. as a teenager. So we grew up with this belief that like skipping a period wasn't a big deal. If anything, it was kind of awesome because- you didn't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, between that and like, oh, I must be working so hard, like to not have a period, like it was kind of like a badge of honor. And so um, I just like not having to worry about it. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'll just, I'll figure this out when I need to, when I stop competing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was competing, training several hours a day. Um, you know, I, I, to me, I was eating plenty because I wasn't like in my mind, like I'm not starving myself. Like, if people think that I have some sort of eating disorder, like, no, I don't. Cause I'm not starving myself, but eating disorders are so much more about the mental side of things versus like what you're actually consuming. And so, um, like i never went to treatment or anything like that. Like, but looking back when I have a clearer head about the situation, there's things I did back then that I would never do now all for the, the sake of like, Oh, it's because I'm competing. Like I would bring my food scale to like frozen yogurt places and like literally weigh out the frozen yogurt. Um, I would bring it sometimes to restaurants. I was very anal about my food if I was traveling um, and just like was so strict with my routines. Um, but my, but yeah, like my body dysmorphia, I wasn't, I never was critical about myself until I started seeing myself a certain way. And then it's like, once you see that anything heavier or different is like, Oh, you're going back to that. Like, oh, you, you have lost yourself and you look bigger and that's not good. Because another thing that people don't talk about, um, because again, it's seen as very normalized is when I was going through that, I was getting so many compliments and so much praise. So many people like talking about my different body parts, like, like some people like that, but if you have body dysmorphia, even if it's a compliment, I don't like the idea that people are looking at my body parts and talking about them. I can't tell you how many times I would post like a lifting video and it would be like impressive. Like I would do a triple clean and jerk at 195 pounds when I was like 19 years old and some guy would comment, look at those quads. And I'm just like, really? Like, do you not see the weight that I'm lifting? Why are we talking about my quads? And like, I had, like, I was not, I was not insecure about my quads. Like, but I just didn't like the fact that like, that was the focus when clearly I was posting about my performance and what I was doing. And so that was another thing that kind of triggered any negative thoughts. Like when I started to gain weight too, because I just remembered like all the people commenting, like, oh, you look so good. It's like, did I look bad then? Like what? Like, did I look terrible or something? Because like, yeah. So it it just brings back all of those thoughts. And then like the judgment from other people, like, are they going to think that I just let myself go? And that's what I struggle with a lot when I got my period back, because I started gaining weight uncontrollably and I wasn't even eating that much, which was the crazy part because I felt so out of control. 
Um, and as a nutrition coach, I was like, what the heck is going on? You know, um, I think I went from 130 and trigger warning, we're talking about numbers here. Um, so I went from 135 to 145 in a week, bam, got my period back. And then from like a month or two, I went all the way back up to 165. And I was kind of restricting my calories at the time too, because I was scared to gain more weight. So it was a very hard time to see myself gain the weight back, but my body needed it. Like it needed the fat tissue, like to restore my hormonal health. Um, And it taught me a lot too. Like it taught me a lot to how to be a better coach um, because I was able to empathize a lot better with people and, and understand from that experience. So I still struggle with body dysmorphia. I'm a little bit better about kind of replacing the thoughts, but um, it's one of those things where like, I think I mentioned it in that post, like I get so afraid to get photos done, which I need for content, which I also hate doing. Honestly, video content is so hard for me to do because of how I see myself. And so anytime I get photo shoots done, I'm always like, surprise like oh is that what I look like or like you know just like seeing yourself in that way um because with the mirror thing I do sometimes try to like not even look in the mirror um it just depends on the day but um but yeah I think the best thing the best way to kind of deal with it if you are struggling with it is one talk about it maybe not too much because you don't want to just sink yourself into it but talk about it with a friend um, and don't just hide it in journal, go to therapy um, and, and also just replace the thought. Because if you consistently have thoughts over and over and over again, it becomes habitual like anything else. So you have to replace it with something else. So whether you replace it with uh, another type of thought that's positive or physical thought, go for a walk or something and just kind of move through it instead of just sitting there thinking about it. Absolutely. I mean, it is, and I feel like it's also one of those things that's like a a practice. Like if you aren't, you know, it's, it's easy to revert back. You can think maybe, you know, so you can make certain changes with yourself or your life or whatever. And maybe those thoughts recede a little bit, right? Like if you have a lot of negative thoughts, again, not you, you, if a person has a lot of negative thoughts about their weight, they lose weight. Maybe, maybe some of those negative thoughts go away, but, but they'll probably resurface when something, when another thing changes. Right. So like if they gain the weight back or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Agreed. You want to read through that list? Okay. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting. Um, I mean, honestly, until we kind of were preparing for this podcast, I had never really actually looked up the symptoms of body dysmorphia. And then as Heidi and I were sitting there, we're like, oh, so we have this too. Yeah. (laughs) Added to the list. I mean, you know that Heidi and I definitely love to like yeah, add something to like the, yes. what could be wrong with you list. But I mean, this is actually, I mean, I don't know that it's even necessarily wrong in the sense of like, it's, 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 is it a belief system or is it more of just intrusive thoughts? Right. Cause there, there is a difference between the two we can have, you know, much like what Ashley and Heidi were talking about. We can have thoughts that nag at us a little bit, but at the same time, redirect them, or we can have a, this is exactly who I am. And this is the belief and I'm sticking to it mm, type yeah. thing. So I think examining an idea around like what kind of body dysmorphia you might have 
is is worth a, is worth a, is worth an examination, right? Totally. So let's go through a little bit of a list. Well, um, real quick before we dive in, yeah. I wanted to just highlight some of the some of the contributing factors or causes that can bring up body dysmorphia. So surprisingly, genetics is a big part of it. Um, it also can be related to comorbid conditions like OCD, social anxiety disorder, or, or social anxiety disorder, which um, you know, it's here for the neurodivergence. Let's just all be aware of that. Um, trauma. Some people say the one studies reports that, um, many people with body dysmorphia report having been bullied by peers at school and up to 79% of the people have experienced childhood abuse. So, um, and then also personality traits, perfectionism, being sent, being a highly sensitive person, uh, so I thought those were were interesting. So now let's get into some of the symptoms. You can start off if you want. All right. So a couple of them are extreme preoccupation with physical flaws that either are very minor or imagined. Uh, spending an excessive amount of time covering perceived flaws with makeup, different outfits, or new hairstyles. Buying products or getting plastic surgery to alter one's appearance. Checking the mirror excessively or avoiding them completely. And I think I would also add the scale to that. Totally. Either yes. you're obsessed with the scale or you completely avoid it. Yeah. Um, trying to hide certain body parts with clothing or accessories. Repetitive behaviors such as picking at your skin. Needing constant reassurance from others about your physical appearance. So whether you're posting a video hoping that someone will tell you how pretty or cute you are or how great you look or even just positioning yourself into a place to get some kind of compliments could be part of that constant reassurance. Totally. Worrying excessively about appearing ugly or unattractive. And constantly comparing your looks to others. I mean, I mean, that's, that is, that just covers so many people. Yeah. Is yeah. it A, B, C, D, E or all of the above? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think too, like, um, I think most people struggle with this because of something from, that they went through when they were younger or that they, cause I mean, my stuff was like, I don't think that I would have the thoughts I do now about my body if I didn't go through all of that, because all that I went through taught me things in my mind. Like it taught me that, okay, I got more affirmation and praise when I was in a smaller body. And I was never like, I was never obese. I was never like someone that like someone would call fat. Like, so I wasn't at that level. Like there's people out there that deal with levels of criticism that I would never, ever deal with. But I was, but I was in a body that at the time, like was, I would say normal. And then I got really, really lean. And so when I got more compliments, which can be normal for some people, some people aren't as, um, I'll, I'll use the word sensitive, even though I don't mean that in a negative way, but are more sensitive to the body comments if they struggle with it that way. Um, and some people aren't. So what I learned from that experience was like, okay, lean is good. What I was before is bad. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> and so then I just like, look at my old pictures. I would always constantly compare old pictures to new pictures. Like I was very obsessive. I would, I would take my pictures like once or twice, um, or like, once a week or twice a month. And I would literally kid you not put them in a, a collage photo app, put them side by side and like, look like, Oh, my stomach looks fluffier. And like, I was just so hypercritical about it. Um, because I was so afraid to get bigger. Um, and because that's what I associated it with, I associated it as bad. And for some reason, a lot of those thoughts and, and, like feelings about my body have stuck around. And I still feel like I don't 
you know, I'm not like small enough in this area or I look weird in these types of clothes. And I think a lot of female athletes would think the same thing about clothes, just like looking different, maybe not, not, not having really big boobs, like just not filling out clothes, like kind of in like a, what you would call a normal way. Um, and I think just women in sports, it's easy to not feel, I think I've put this as one of my, um, things on my post, just like not feeling very feminine and feeling insecure about that. Um, and it's not like, I think it's bad, but it's just, it's about the judgment and about like how others perceive it. And it's like, am I weird because I'm not as feminine as like this girl over here who, you know, dresses really cute all the time and like does her hair and makeup every day. And like, I'm over here kind of all always in like athletic clothing. And if I have to wear a dress, I'm out of it the minute I come home and put on like sweatpants. <laughs> and like, I just don't, I'm not like into the same things. And like, I think that, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I judge myself because of it. Um, and so those are kind of all the things about, you know, about mine. And I think that most people would agree that something happened at some point in their life that pretty drastically changed how they viewed their body. And it can be different, obviously. You you went off the list, like it could be abuse or something else, but um, our experiences definitely shaped that, I think. I, I totally agree. And like Matt said earlier, I mean, they may be a lot of little things. Um, it may, it may be bigger events. I mean, for sure, uh, a lot of, and I mentioned this before on other podcasts too, but a lot of my body dysmorphia or the things that I focus on when I look at pictures is my face <laughs> because, you know, growing up, that was, I was, I was bullied quite a bit as a kid for being ugly and I was missing a lot of my teeth and things like that. So, um, those and those beliefs still kick around to to this day. Same, you know, we just had a photo, we just had to get our pictures taken yesterday. And that's definitely the part that I that I gravitate directly to. And and you know, it is like like you said, I mean, I can look back and I can I can connect how I got to that belief and how my brain used things that happened to me as evidence that that belief was true and that that is just sort of a default reel in my head that I have to kind of pay attention to. Like, oh, here we are. We're 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 yeah. in that you know on that sort of um, yeah. Like I think of it like you know like train tracks when they come to like a a Y and they kind of can go left or right. It's like a lot of times that's just a default place for me to go. Yeah. There's an interesting article because for those of you who are a little bit aware of like the CrossFit sphere, uh, Tia Claire Toomey, who is our feminist woman (laughs) in the world, um, is expecting. And there was an interesting article and I wish I could actually find it because I would love to, to paraphrase it, but it was something to the effect of you know, she released these really gorgeous pictures of her and Shane and like celebrating their baby. And people were like, it's so weird to see her in clothes. (laughs) Like she is like her hair is down. Like she's feminine. She's like embodying motherhood (laughs) and it's like really beautiful experience. And what is so interesting is that just because everyone has visualized you or seen you a certain way, doesn't mean that that's the right way either. Right. For people to be like, gosh, Tia looks so weird in clothes. It's like, she doesn't walk around in like noble booty shorts and a sports bra every day of her life. Like she does get dressed at some point, I would assume. Right. But we've assigned this meaning like, no, she's an athlete. She's got to be showing her abs all the time or her quads, you know, or whatever it is. Is it a little unfair to be like, Tia, why do you have clothes on when she's like, because I, at the end of the day, I am more than my body. Right. But Mm -hmm. we assign this belief that like, oh, an athlete to your point, actually about like, you know, maybe not having, you know, maybe being flatter, like a lot of our CrossFit girls, you know, have really incredible abs and, you know, they, 
definitely look different when you see them dressed for sure. Like if you see yeah. Wells dressed, you're like, doesn't even look like the Brooke Wells we know because yeah. we do see them so much in minimal clothing, but yeah. it doesn't mean that that's a bad visual. I think we just, it's just not the one we're used to seeing. And I think that comes kind of full circle with this body dysmorphia thing. It's like, just because what you're seeing is maybe not what you usually see yourself as, doesn't mean that it's bad or doesn't totally. mean that it's worse right. or that, you know, maybe people haven't seen you in a long time, like to see you in this way and they need to kind of like adapt to it. Right. Like I would hope that we would get to see Tia more in her like state of like mothering and pregnancy. And like, it's such an exciting moment for her instead of it being like, well, goodness, I can't wait for her to get back into the gym and snatch something because you know that is who she is. Right. And we've assigned things that we have beliefs about, right. Like for yeah. you, you know, when it was about your lift and it wasn't about your quads, it became about your quads. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a little bit unfair, whether we do it to ourselves or we do it to people mm-hmm. on social media that we assume that that's what people want from us. When in reality, you, you clean and jerking 195 pounds you could be fully dressed to do that. And it would just be still more about how they're going to do it right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When we find people who focus on certain things, whether it is what we they perceive to be a really incredible compliment or negative, right? Like if we know we've heard it so many times and I'm sure you have with your clients too, their parents are really critical. Their aunts are really, really critical, especially we just caught off the holidays, people being like, wow, you put on some weight. Like that is just their their context of what they see, right? Not necessarily more about you, which is hard sometimes. And I think how many times have we gifted somebody body dysmorphia or given somebody an insecurity because we don't stop to think about like what we're going to say to them. It also blows my mind that people tell other people that <laughs> like, oh, you look like you've gained weight. Like who says that? Seriously. Well, and it, it, it definitely, I mean, like you were saying, you know, not only is it the rigid, ex, you know, these rigid expectations of maybe of other people of like, be the, be the role or be the version of you that I <coughs> but we can also definitely do that to ourselves. Like back when you were, you know, you were talking about being really strict with your routines and with your food and um, feeling that kind of rigidity in behavior and also identity. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting on this, you know, this body dysmorphia article we've been referencing, they also talk about what are the, some of the things you can do and learning something new or trying something new is actually a recommended course of coping with some of this. So that's a kind of, whether it's Tia Claire Toomey, you know, getting pregnant or putting on some weight or stopping CrossFit or, you know, whatever, like trying something new, doing something new is actually because it's the body dysmorphia is the rigidity of it, right? Like you can only be this way, this specific thing. So kind of busting that up is one of the ways to. And how many times do we actually remove the joy from these things that we normally do because we throw our bodies and what we look like doing them into the position, right? Like, Oh yeah. I mean, I love how you said that you've done like powerlifting, Olympic lifting, CrossFit, then you left CrossFit for a little bit and then you came back to it. It's like, I kind of feel that same way about CrossFit for me. It's like for a long time, it was more about celebrating what my body could do versus what it looked like. And then it started looking a certain way and was able to do certain things. And then I attached something there. And then Last year, I spent a lot of time working on like my inner self versus outer self. And then all of a sudden it was like, I could not CrossFit the same way that I used to CrossFit. And then therefore CrossFit was no longer fun for me. It didn't feel like a celebratory way. It was more of like a reminder of all the things I couldn't do anymore. Right. Yeah. And so finding, yeah. yeah. And so finding that love again, it doesn't mean that you have to like leave it, but you could just change the way you look at it. Right. Maybe incorporating right. things 
that are a little bit different than the way you do. Because I think sometimes exercise can be toxic, right? We know orthorexia exists, right? This pursuit of healthiness and health at all costs and things like that. And sometimes, you know, we see it when people are like, I can't take a day off. I can't take a day off. And it's like these, these things that we do in the pursuit of, you know, air quote health can sometimes be the things that are making us the most unhealthy. Well, totally. And like, you know, whether you're saying, why would somebody say like, oh, you've gained weight or why would someone comment like, oh, look at your quads. It's like, I mean, because to them, those are, those are priorities. Those are things that should be talked about. Like why else would you go to the gym? Why else would you as a girl want to lift heavy other than to change your body into a more like aesthetically pleasing way. Right. So they feel completely justified in like, well, of course, of, of course you want this. Right? Oh, that's an excellent point because it's really their values they're assigning to you. Uh-huh. Exactly. Like yeah. you post that video of you cleaning and jerking 195 and I'm like clean and jerk 195. Like it's amazing. Not necessarily looking at your quads. Right. But the person who commented that the quads are more important than the lift is. Right. Right. Totally. Right. Right. Well, yeah, like, it, when you're 17, you might not even know your own values to have anything to like, you know, I know. And that's, that with. and that's kind of the issue too, is I was so young when I got into fitness, like I was 15 Um, and I'm 25 now. So I've been, I've been doing it for a very long time, just in that world. I was, I mean, I don't know, like if I always post little time hop things on my story and like 10 years ago, I was eating like dinner. It was like chicken and broccoli and, and like rice. And like, I'm like, what other 15 year old does this? Um, and so I was like, you know, gung ho on it for ever since then. And so, because I was so young and that was my identity, like I've attached all of those beliefs and things that were said to me and just all of those experiences to my identity to like, this is who I am. I'm this workout person and I'm from a small town. And I was very heavily known in my town as like, oh, that's Ashley. She's the gym freak. Like she's the, she's Miss Fitness. Like people would just call me that. Um, And so you start attaching yourself to things people say about you. And I never felt like I got the chance to kind of identify myself and like figure out what I actually was and like who I am. I kind of was just what everyone else was saying. And that's why my, that's why my self-esteem and my body image and my body dysmorphia were kind of so easy to happen to me is because I didn't really have a foundation anyway of what I was um, and who I thought I was. And so um. So uh, recommendation for those out there with kids, um, it's it's hard when you're that young. And, and I think that it's important who they're around and that they know how to not attach themselves to what people say about them. Because, again, like I was saying, like when you're that young, you're just going to you're just going to form your beliefs around what people are saying. And then you become very attached to what people are saying, too, because um, if you're not getting the praise or if you're not getting the affirmations you're like, what am I doing wrong? Like if I'm not getting the comments, if I'm not getting the engagement and we could talk about Instagram for 3 million years if we wanted to, but if you're not getting that stuff, then you're like, something's wrong with me. Um, and that's not a good idea to go down that hole. So, um, so yeah, all of it, it can heavily be attached to identity. And that's, that's kind of why I had to get away from CrossFit because it was a constant reminder of that time period. And I was like, no, I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I also noticed that when I'm busier, I tend to have less body image thoughts. But I think that goes back to what you were saying about like doing something new or doing a new hobby, even though it's not necessarily a new hobby, it kind of takes you away from like 
the normal routine and it and you're just more busy so your mind is more preoccupied versus if you're not as busy and you just have time to think about yourself and how you look so this might be a little bit of a pivot but on the same page but i think like let's discuss a little bit about how do we actually get to a place where we truly believe that smaller isn't superior because I think that's kind of, as we see, like with our clients and even on Instagram, there's a lot of women who are desiring to know how to feel okay in a, in a different place other than their leanest self, right. Or even chasing their leanest self. I think, you know, we want to, most of us, I think, want to be able to be, to feel okay as is, right. Regardless of what the scale says or whatever we feel like, or whatever clothing size we are, but how do we actually work to a place mentally that we actually really do believe that like smaller isn't always better. What are your guys' thoughts? So I, I think that in order to believe that is true, we have to also believe that bigger isn't worse. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like, for me, I'm 20, no, 30, no. I don't know. I'm like over (laughs) 20 pounds heavier than my smallest. And, you know, I think that that's better because I have a period, because I can be more flexible, because I'm not as obsessed with my food or obsessed with tracking or, you know, afraid to travel, afraid to eat out. Like there's so many things that are better from a lifestyle perspective that I didn't experience when I was smaller because literally the only thing I cared about was making sure I trained and hitting my macros. Those were like my two biggest priorities in my life. And it took away from everything else. And so I think that if if someone can understand that being a little bit heavier, you know, because we all have that weight set point that our bodies naturally thrive in, and it, and everyone has different body fat level set points too. Like maybe Joe Schmo over here can be 10% body fat and not lose their period and thrive in their life. But maybe you can't, like maybe you lose it when you hit 15% and you have to stay above that. Like that's fine. Um, but whatever that set point is for you is going to be kind of where you thrive the best. It's going to be where you can have more food flexibility. Um, cause if, cause like, if you're really, really lean and you take a week off of tracking and you eat whatever you want, you're going to be holding onto a lot of fluid. Like your body's not going to like it as much. Um, you're going to have a lot more fluctuations where if your body is in a more healthy spot, especially like metabolically, you're not going to have super high and low fluctuations all the time. Um, and you're also going to be able to enjoy life a little more and not be as rigid with training and food. Um, and that kind of thing. So I think, I think in order to believe that we are not better as in a smaller body, we have to also understand that it's not bad to be in a bigger one and that it's actually good to be in a spot that is within your body's, you know, desired set point. And I think even taking it a step further, because if you believe that going out to eat is bad, then you're not going to want that flexibility, right? If you believe that being able to eat and enjoy your life is also a sign that you're not disciplined or you're not paying attention enough, or you've let yourself go, then you're obviously going to correlate the two, right? Like as coaches, we see the beauty of flexibility. We see the, the, the way that you're actually can live your best life with most of us can live our best life about five to 10 pounds heavier than we want to be air quote. Right. Yeah. 
people, you know, because that does, it allows you to be able to go out to eat more, maybe allows you to be able to go out with your friends. You don't have to say no to everything. You can go on vacations, you can enjoy your life. But I think sometimes people see that and they're like, no, I don't like that kind of life because that life is somebody who's not disciplined and not right. structured and they don't have goals, they're quote, like they're just enjoying their life too much because we believe kind of like to the endless grind that we women do like, oh, unless I'm busy all the time, I'm lazy. <laughs> and so I wonder how many of us are not even allowing ourselves that because we believe that that kind of air quote lifestyle is it's also, true. yeah, uh-huh. I think unless, I think unless you go through like a burnout, then you're going to still continue to think those things, unfortunately, because Can we I, talk about burnout for a second. Yeah, Can we yeah. acknowledge yeah. for everybody on this podcast that burnout is totally real. And yeah. even burned out on the things that you believe are inherently air quote good for yourself. You know, even mm-hmm. 90 was talking about where we hopped on here, how you can perceive your grind as something incredible, like five days a week, six days a week, never going to stop counting everything down to like plus or minus five for the rest of my entire life. I'm never going to get off the app. My streak is going to be a thousand days or 2000 days. And all these things that we believe that are like, this is just who I am. Mm -hmm. can also be some of the most toxic things you do to yourself. Well, hundred percent. I mean, uh, like a, a set of coping skills is not a personality, right? Like your hyper, your hypervigilance is not who you are. And, right. you know, to, I think my take on it, of course, I'm going to come from the woo on to answer your question. She's like, here's some scientific stuff. I'm like, Hey, here's the woo. <laughs> so I like when, both. You, when you talk about, you know, when you're talking about your experience as a teenager, or my experiences as a, as a little kid, right. These, this belief system is what activates all of this hypervigilance, right? Like I've got to be safe from this person's judgments. I've got to be busy all the time because rest rest is laziness. And, you know, we assign all of this like um, moral and all kinds of emotions to these belief systems. It's kind of, I think a part and parcel of this is going back and, and um, you know, because, because those that child, that teenager, whatever, did not question the experience. Just like you were saying earlier about, we don't want to make our decisions based on emotion. Yeah, well, they did. They decided that I don't ever want to feel this way again, or I don't ever want to lose this feeling and made choices based on that. So going back to those prior versions of ourselves and um, realizing that, you know, let's at 17, at eight, nine, 10, like our brains are not even fully developed, which means those, those parts of our, of our brain and personality did not actually have the chance to develop and expand and grow. So to a certain extent, when you're coming from a a background of uh, developmental trauma for whatever reason, and I think like we've talked about before, that's pretty much all women when it comes to your bodies, that means we, we get to go back and reconnect with that child, that teenager and create a new belief system, right? Like looking at pictures of myself as a kid and being like, I wasn't ugly. I was a super cute little kid, right? Like, and also connecting back to like, what was my lived experience? What was yours? And like, and what do we want to choose to believe with all that we know and all of the wisdom and post burnout, right? What do we want to believe about those versions of ourselves, bodies, um, and all of that, because we, we've got to have a value system or knowing if you don't know what you believe, then you'll just react to anything that happens around you. Right. But if you know what you believe and you know, you know, you have that connection to yourself, then you have, you have some inner resilience to respond with when you are met with things that challenge your self-esteem pillars, right. whether that's it's like that, 
Yeah. It's like that song or the quote where it's like, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. Totally. Yes. And there's so much to fall for in like yeah. the fact that heroin chic is back for Pete's sake. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Um, it really is. But I actually wanted to touch on this too, because we were talking about like childhood and, and bodies and stuff. I think the first time I ever noticed my body in a bad way is um, I actually hit puberty really young. I was 10 years old when I first started the period and I was like traumatized. I was like, I was the only girl in my grade that had it. I was like terrified of growing boobs. I was like, I was like, no, I don't want to wear a bra. And then my mom's like, here, I found a training bra, which is essentially kind of like a sports bra. It kind of like mashes them together. And I'm like, oh yeah, this one makes them look smaller. Good. Like, it's not going to look like I have any. And I was just like, I was terrified that people were going to see my bra strap through my clothes. Like, um, and I had to like, I had to take this little like pencil pouch with me to the bathroom, you know, to carry pads and stuff with me. And I remember like getting asked in the bathroom, like girls would be like, oh, what's in there? And I'd be like, pencils. (laughs) And like, I was just so ashamed um, for something that was so normal, but I was so young And I was just always like the bigger friend, the bigger, I was just a bigger person. I weighed, again, trigger warning numbers. I weighed 125 in fourth grade and I was like 5'2 and I'm 5'4 now and I'm 25. (laughs) I just grew, like I was just up there. And in sixth grade, all the guys started getting taller than me, but like, I was just like the bigger, the bigger girl. And, um, and so I think that affected me a little bit too, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, and then it just kind of extended until until now. And I feel like um, the whole busyness thing and the burnout culture, like um, I feel like I hit my burnout, like it was during COVID time. I think probably a lot of people had that happening during the COVID year. Um, and like that was when I had my first panic attack and it was random. I don't know why I had it. I was literally just watching TV, which... The news was on, so maybe that triggered it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I, I thought I was dying. Like it was so awful. Um, so awful. I too. They're so bad. Yeah, I couldn't drive afterwards for a few months, like alone on the highway. Like it was debilitating. I'm just like, and and I was someone that didn't ever understand what anxiety was until it happened to me. Um, and again, that's another point that helped me, even though it sucked so bad to go through it, um, that helped me just understand people better. Um, and you know, I, I don't regret ever going through that. Like it, it was something that, you know, opened my eyes up a lot more to just mental health in general, because I come from people around me and family members around me that are very, uh, not understanding of mental health and would always kind of just you know, scrape it off and and think that it doesn't exist. Like, oh, you just aren't mentally strong enough, or what do you have to be depressed about? That those kinds of comments. Um, and I shame shameless, like, or not shamelessly, but I would. I'm ashamed to say that I used to think that way too, for the most part, because I think a lot of us did. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because I had never gone through it, and now that I've gone through it, I'm like, holy cow, like that is exhausting. Like now I can totally see how that gets in the way of people's fitness goals and nutrition goals. Like I can understand it now. And, um, and so going through all of that again, just shaped me better as a coach, better as a human. Like I'm able to understand it 
my family members are able to understand it better because they saw me as this person before. And then seeing me go through it, they're like, oh, this isn't the Ashley that we know. Like this, this must be real. Like some things like this must happen. Um, And so that was just insane to go through. But, um, but again, all of these little things have helped me shape myself. And I remember hearing somewhere where like when you're 25, uh, your brain finishes fully developing or something. So that was this year for me. And I'm just like, it's true. It's very true. You you have lived a lot of life. Yeah. Ashley. I mean, Heidi and I are fit as converts. So our stories are definitely not the same as I can't imagine being kind of almost at the peak of your fitness all before your brain cements. Right. (laughs) And so you do like you, what's so incredible is that you've had an opportunity to kind of go back and like have a lot of life in like in a 10 year span, right. Or 12 year span to be able to like set off this next 25 to, you know, However, however long you have with it, with a different me- mental set than if you would have continued at the 17 trajectory, right? Can you imagine if what you believed when you were 17 and 16 was right now? Yeah. You can see how be- women do. They grow up into their 30s and 40s and they just, they wreck themselves, right? It's, they're yeah. just like shells of humans walking around just trying to feel better without ever addressing, you know, the fact that sometimes the the breakdowns do come for us. They, they will, it is coming for you. If you have not had one yet, it is coming for you, you know, but at the same yeah. time, the hope of like the fact that, you know, is, is it a breakdown or is it a breakthrough? Exactly. It usually is a breakthrough and for sure. have to sometimes lean into it, even though it's terrifying and awful. But I think this whole conversation has kind of been like a microcosm for that. Like how you feel about yourself usually starts with a thought. It might not be your thought, right? It might be a thought handed to you, but getting, you know, curious, we, you know, as coaches, the three of us, like, we love that. Like you have to get curious about like why we're doing what we're doing or why we believe the things we believe, because really you're doing yourself a favor by getting to know yourself a little bit better. So you can love yourself a lot harder. And, you know, as much as, you know, like we want to believe that weight loss will fix it all or a six pack or a bicep vein, right? It's like, if only it were like that superficial as far as like who we are as like such complicated dimensional wonderful human beings it is more than a bicep vein that's going to get you to like healing and confidence and like self-love right yeah yeah absolutely but then also the same tokens like whether you start early or start late like change is always possible while your brain may finish developing quote unquote at 25 like neuroplasticity is still a thing and changes can be made physical and mental and otherwise, and I, I mean, it's true, like a lot of the things, again, that we like, you know, <laughs> I think my hypervigilance, I was super proud of it for a long time and definitely did, definitely did not want to give it up. I thought kind of saw it as a, as a, as a superpower, but also realizing that, um, you know, the, the real superpower, I think for the three of us is sharing the other side, right. Of sharing, like, this is what it is to be like late stage diagnosed neurodivergent, like ADHD and, and other, and other things, you know, body dysmorphia, all of these things. Cause it's, you know, kind of like your post on choosing a coach based on what they look like, you know, hypervigilance can get a shit ton done, <laughs> but that might not be the most compassionate, empathic healing, um, influence in your life. And, yeah. And, there are coaches that can come from that sort of perspective and help you not just look better, but actually feel better. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. When I went to the doctor after having the panic attacks to get like blood work and stuff done, she actually recommended the book to me called Burnout. Oh. And oh. yeah, so that's a good book out there for anyone listening if they want to read more about some some science stuff about burnout. Um, and it's a it's tailored for women too that that deal with that. Cause I think I think it's more common, like, you know, if you run into someone like, hey girl, how are you doing? Like, oh, just staying busy, you know, like that's our default um, you know, badge of honor comment. And I find myself doing it too. A lot of the times one, just to kind of avoid really talking for that long. And, um, two, just cause I don't really know what else to say. Cause I am kind of trying to stay busy. <laughs> um, but, but I think, I think for me, like the biggest thing is just your awareness. Like I know when I'm trying to numb myself through work and hustling, I know when I'm trying to avoid feeling because a lot of times, like, I know you were talking about ADHD. Like, I feel like, I feel like there are some things I can resonate with that as well. And I think for me, sitting still is very hard. And I also think that sitting still, like that doesn't always have to be the case with someone with ADHD. But for me, I think if I'm, if I'm not, or if I am sitting still, I tend to think in ways that are like destructive to myself, like whether it's about my body or if I'm not doing enough with work or if I'm not as successful as this person that I follow or whatever it might be. And like, I don't know, like, I just feel like I, I, I really, really struggle with resting. Um, but, but yeah, so that can be something that people try to like, they numb out their feelings because Mm -hmm. they they do need to stay moving and, and it's avoidant. It's an avoidant behavior. (laughs) Totally. It was so easy to do in this like age of distraction, like uh, distracting away from your emotions or, or any of those things. I mean, I similarly, like when I'm tired, again, it goes to your, again, to your point of like reacting to everything we feel, but rather just noticing how you feel, maybe naming it, like observing yourself. Cause I've noticed when I'm tired, that's when I start to really like raise the bar on my productivity. Like nice. you got to do all of this before you can rest. And it's like, do that you yeah. <laughs> do those things with more energy, you know, something, <laughs> something just like, you know, uh, perverse in human nature about how we like, you know, we feel something and then we do like the thing that is like the opposite of what we should do. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what that is. Like I, cause I, I have the same problem. Like I'm, I'm actually in therapy right now. And one of the things that she was telling me to do, she was like, Ashley, I want you to just once or twice this week, like allow yourself to like sit down, lay down on the couch and just kind of like do whatever you want, like read, watch a TV show or whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, like piece of cake. I can do that. Well, the time comes for me to do that and I'm about to do it. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I have to do this first. (laughs) And it was like, it was so hard to get myself to just sit. Yeah. Because in my head, I'm like, no, I have to do all of these things first. Like I cannot sit still until these things are done. So, and that's, I mean, and that, I mean, full, full circle, right? Like that, like with you saying in your head. And like how we spend so much time in our head instead of like in the present moment. Yeah. Um, and mindfulness is another tool for coping sure. with body dysmorphia and being like realizing when you're just like locked into a story in your head, 
versus are you actually connected to your body here in the here in the present moment um, right. and really kind of supporting yourself, asking yourself what you need. I mean, it doesn't seem like it would be the biggest challenge in the world to like make sure you're having like doing something you enjoy every day. Not right. something that is like productive or not something like super goal oriented, but just something like that you enjoy doing. But like how many of us just like, well, that's for, you know, that's, that's for unmotivated people. That's for people who, don't, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, that's yeah. for all people. It's like a quality of life issue. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think social media has created it to be harder to do that because I think that we all tend to just compare ourselves to like, oh, well, this type of person wouldn't be doing this right now. They would be doing X, Y, Z. So like, I'm lazy if I want to take a break in the middle of the day and just kind of veg out for an hour um, because so-and-so is probably like doing this. And, you know, we just, a lot of times I feel like that, that kind of is what kind of creeps in. And it's like, it's either that, or you're just thinking like, oh, I'm not going to be successful if I do this, or I could be getting something done that might help me with my business. Um, it's always like, okay, well, how good will you feel and how refreshed and rejuvenated will you feel to start working again? If you do relax for a bit, Yeah, it's like, we always think of it as like a negative thing. And like, we, we put lazy on it when it's actually like for someone like me, it's actually probably really productive to do because I think if we're rested for the most part, we're going to perform better and more, more effectively then if we kind of just sludge ourselves through it and, you know, even when we're tired, we try to like level up the intensity and um, we might perform more optimally if we're a little bit more rested. Totally. Well, and like, you know, kind of full circle to your question of like, how do you make peace with being where you are? Like literally make peace with where you are, like on a moment to moment basis, right? Because it can be so easy to be stuck in that hypervigilance of like, I'll feel better or I'll relax or I'll whatever. Then when I get there type of a thing, as opposed to, you know, if you can, if you can communicate safety to your nervous system, if you can cultivate appreciation and gratitude for, for your life and where your body and where you are right now, that's going to literally literally create like a, a physical and emotional peace and balance that's going to be not only great for you know how you see yourself, but it's also going to be great for your physical body and for regulating your stress and all of those other things too. So it's like literally, literally create peace now is how you create peace now. <laughs> right. Yeah. But and that's so hard for people too, because I think, you know, myself included a lot of people tend to just kind of think in the past and, Mm -hmm. and bring that into the present moment, or they think too far ahead and become very anxious. Um, And so, yeah, like if we can just be present, like it's so hard, but if we can just be present, focus on like, you know, obviously what we can control easier said than done, um, then it can be a lot easier to not have, you know, a thousand thoughts, rush into our brain. It's not easy to do, but that's why mindfulness can be so important and slowing down can be so important because when we're constantly just rushing around, we're not really experiencing, we're not letting ourselves like experience whatever thought we're struggling with. We're just pushing things down. And like I was saying, avoiding. Um, But when you're present, you can 
you can really just focus on, you know, what is relevant right now? Like is the fact that I've been yo-yo dieting for the last 30 years relevant right now? No. What is relevant? What, what can I do today to, you know, build whatever healthy habits I want to focus on and like create some sort of plan and like try to try to go through with it. Cause you know, if we can't, we can't do anything about the past, but a lot of people focus on it and it holds them back. Well, I totally agree. I mean, that's like another perverse human thing about me is I sometimes understand things better by knowing what they're not. (laughs) And like, like mindfulness was explained to me as being in the present moment, not in the past or future, not judging or comparing, like just actually like rooted. And I would, that, I mean, that's basically exactly what you just said. Right. And, and, um, that, that is, you know, our anxieties about how we're being seen or how we're being compared, whether we're doing it or imagining other people doing it or all of those things like that really, um, noticing, first of all, that you're doing it, building is building your, your skill set to cope with negative emotion, bringing yourself to the present moment. I mean, this is, this is how you do everything from approach, you know, break down big goals and get there to like actually enjoy who you are at whatever weight and, and create a motivation from like, a from a authentic, like wanting well-being kind of place as opposed to like emotional reactivity hypervigilance you know it really comes down to uh to that daily practice and it really is a practice it's not just like you know we we know whether you're talking about muscle building or fat loss there's not a place you get to where you can just like freeze things um right. it really comes down to taking care of yourself body mind and all the things like Ashley you are so much fun to talk to this is it was so fun to be really great talking about I like because I like talking about nutrition but the more that I the longer that I'm a nutrition coach the more I understand it's not very much about nutrition when it comes to (laughs) no we like to call nutrition nutrition and macros the the yeah, it's like nutrition and counting macros and weight loss are like the gateway to like all. Yeah, there's the so much more. Totally. So much Anyways, more. Tell everyone where to find you. So you can find me on Instagram at Ashley Marie Hubbard is my personal. And then my business account is Ahub Nutrition. Um, I'm also a real estate agent in Virginia. So if you're in Virginia, Whoa. you need a house, like hit me up. Um, I do that part time. So, um, so yeah, that's where you can find me. My website's ahubnutrition.com. Awesome. All right. Thanks again so much. Thank you so much for having me. You made it. The butter dish didn't melt your face. Thanks so much for hanging with us. If you enjoy that episode, we'd love it if you would subscribe, share it to your social media, or leave a comment. That all really helps. So the kids say. (laughs) If you want to find us, you can find us at Instagram at ButterYourMacros. On the web at ButterYourMacros.com. Twitter and TikTok at What's Up Butters. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks.